Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news and Hoosier law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Tyler Fenwick, Indiana Lawyer, Senior Reporter, and your host. As always, thanks for joining us. For our extended interview this week, I spoke with Travis Van Winkle, who chairs the Indianapolis Bar Association's HEAL program. HEAL, which stands for Helping Enrich Attorneys' Lives, provides support during times of personal and professional crisis. But before we get to that, I'm here in our studio with managing editor Daniel Carson to talk about this week's top legal news. Today is Wednesday, July 26th, and these are your headlines. Daniel, let's start with you for an update on the lawsuit involving gender transition care for minors. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita is asking the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals to overturn the preliminary injunction entered against a new Indiana law banning gender transition care for minors and has filed an appeal in the case. U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Indiana Judge James P. Hanlon partially granted a preliminary injunction against Senate Enrolled Act 480 a few weeks before it would have taken effect on July 1st. The law would ban physicians from providing gender transition procedures for minors and from aiding or abetting another physician to do so. In the order partially granting the preliminary injunction, Hanlon acknowledged the state has a, quote, strong interest in enforcing democratically enacted laws, and defendants have shown that there are important reasons underlying the state's regulation of gender transition procedures for minors, end quote. A Rakita statement posted to Twitter declared his office was fighting to defend young Hoosiers in several cases, including the defense of the state's new law prohibiting gender transition procedures for minors. Rakita said the first priority for any parent should be their child's health and well-being and added, quote, cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers for minors do not align with this principle and can cause permanent, irreversible damage. Thanks, Daniel. Sticking with the Seventh Circuit, the appellate court again upheld judgment for Ron Colley High School in the case of a counselor who was fired for being in a same-sex marriage. Michelle Fitzgerald was one of two counselors who sued under Title VII. The Indiana Southern District Court granted summary judgment for the defendants in both cases, citing the First Amendment ministerial exception. The Seventh Circuit upheld that decision in the other counselor's case last year. Fitzgerald argued the district court misapplied the ministerial exception, but the Seventh Circuit disagreed. The court ruled in part that Fitzgerald helped develop the criteria to evaluate counselors, and that criteria included religious components. The Seventh Circuit said that fact and others would preclude a reasonable jury from finding Fitzgerald was not a minister, as she had argued. Judge Amy St. Eve wrote the unanimous opinion. Judge Michael Brennan wrote a separate concurrence. Now zooming in on Indianapolis, the local city-county council approved a partnership between the city and the United States Attorney's Office to address gun crimes. Three city attorneys will be hired to work in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Indiana and will be tasked with focusing on federal gun crimes in Marion County. The attorneys will be on the city's payroll and report to the city's corporation council, but they'll work in the U.S. Attorney's Office. All right, back to you, Daniel, for an update on a case involving recently passed legislation. An Indianapolis schoolteacher and the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana are continuing their efforts to obtain an injunction against a new state law that prohibits instruction on human sexuality in grades K through 3. The ACLU had previously filed a complaint for Kayla Smiley, an Indianapolis teacher, on June 9th for declaratory and injunctive relief, arguing that House Enrolled Act 1608 is unconstitutional 
as infringing on both the due process and First Amendment rights of teachers. It then filed a memorandum in support of a preliminary injunction on June 27th. The ACLU argues the law's language presents no standards or guidance for Smiley or anyone subject to HEA 1608 that they could use to determine if they violated the law or if a teacher had engaged in forbidden instruction on human sexuality and that the law is, quote, imposing a chill, unquote, on Smiley's expression. A spokesperson in Attorney General Todd Rakita's office issued a lengthy response and declared the Attorney General is ready and determined to defend HEA 1608 in court. Quote, it is not the role of the teachers union or other arms of the government to instill their own views on politics, sex, or free speech into young students. The school is simply supposed to be an additional source of education, aiding in the parents' job to raise their children in a healthy manner. Therefore, they should stick to teaching students to read, write, perform all levels of math, and to critically think, not indoctrinate, subdue, and sexualize our innocent youth, part of the statement read. The ACLU motion notes that a teacher has a First Amendment right to speak as a private citizen as to matters of public concern and alleges the law violates the First Amendment and Smiley's rights, is unconstitutional, and a preliminary injunction should be issued to prevent ongoing harm to her that will occur if the law is allowed to go into effect. Thanks, Daniel. Staying on the federal side again, the Indiana Northern District Court has new leadership. Judge Holly Brady is the court's new chief judge. Brady was appointed by former President Donald Trump and confirmed in April 2019. She's a 1994 graduate of the Valparaiso University School of Law, according to a district court release. Brady has also been a board member for the Fort Wayne Sexual Assault Treatment Center and the Northern District of Indiana Federal Community Defenders. All right, Daniel, we'll stay up north but move into a local court for news about a lawsuit. The Irish Rover a conservative student-led publication at the University of Notre Dame, has filed its answer to sociology professor Tamara Kay's defamation lawsuit and is seeking dismissal of the case. Kay is accusing the publication of publishing false information about her pro-abortion rights views, which she has shared publicly on the campus. The Irish Rover wrote two articles about Kay's advocacy and views, which are contrary to the university's Catholic teaching. The publication is denying all allegations and argues in its response that both articles were published within its First Amendment constitutional right to free speech. It also states that neither article was written, quote, knowing it was false or with a reckless disregard for its falsity, end quote, nor did the articles, quote, contain defamatory imputations, end quote. According to Kay's complaint filed in May, The professor has been harassed and threatened and has experienced damage to her residential property. She also claims she has suffered mentally and emotionally and has experienced and continues to experience mental anguish and fear for her safety. The Irish River did not respond to that part of the complaint, stating that it does not require a response. The publication is also asking the St. Joseph Superior Court to dismiss the case under Indiana's anti-strategic lawsuits against public participation law. In its memorandum in support of the motion to dismiss, the publication argues Kay is a limited-purpose public figure, which would require proof of actual malice. It argues she is a public figure because she has described herself as an, quote, abortion expert, unquote, and has published op-eds in the Los Angeles Times, Seattle Times, and Chicago Tribune, among other national publications. 
Thanks, Daniel. To round out our headlines this week, I'm working on a story about new tax court judge Justin McAdam. He'll replace Judge Martha Wentworth. Aside from the comments he offered at the podium during an announcement in the governor's office, I talked with McAdam off to the side afterward about the appointment. I also talked with his wife, Judge Wentworth, and former Indiana Chief Justice Brent Dixon. You can read that story in our August 2nd issue. Okay, that'll do it for headlines this week. As always, if you want more legal news, theindianalawyer.com is the place to go. Stick around after our sponsor break to hear this week's extended interview. Taft, today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. For this week's extended interview, I'm joined here in our studio by Travis Van Winkle. Travis is the Indianapolis Bar Association's HEAL Committee Chair. HEAL stands for Helping Enrich Attorneys' Lives, and the program helps legal professionals during times of personal and professional crisis. Thanks for joining me today, Travis. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So if my description of HEAL sounded pretty vague, that was on purpose because I wanted to start with getting an introduction to HEAL in your own words. So how would you describe the program? Sure. Um, the program, uh, for, for me, I think the descriptive that I would go with is that we're there when you know, you've got that crisis in your life and you need help getting to those appointments. You need uh, someone who can take care of your yard work for you just to take those things off of someone's plate. And so typically our job is you know, we find out someone maybe has a need that's going on or they come to us with that need. And then we work with them to figure out how we can best help them or support them. Uh, sometimes that's as simple as, hey, just check in with me. Sometimes it's a lot more uh, labor intensive type of stuff. So so we're saying things like uh, crisis, there's a need. What's like an example of, of something somebody could go to you with? We have seen things uh, fr- from as simple as a colleague a few years ago that was involved in a car accident, um, had a concussion and could not drive because of that and needed help getting transportation to and from doctor's appointments. She lived on the west side of Indianapolis. Her doctor's appointments were on the north side. So we put together a list of folks to drive her to those various appointments. We also had a judicial officer a couple of years ago who was battling cancer for an extended period of time. Um, She had a very large yard and a very extensive garden, and she just needed someone to help her take care of those things. So um, we would go out, we would, you know, deadhead her flowers, we would mow the grass, we would do the edging on her landscaping, water the plants for her, whatever that might be. Um, We've had folks... Uh, A few years ago, we had another colleague who had mold in her home and had to vacate the home for an extended period. So we reached out to uh, membership and were able to get gift cards to help offset food costs and things. Also, when the house was done, we went back in and helped paint it. We've replaced uh, bathrooms before. We've done a new toilet, new bathroom counters, new tile, uh, that sort of thing. So Pretty much any, anything that uh, we can either, if we can't help you with it, we can certainly get you in touch with someone who can. Um, but our side of it does tend to be more of the, you know, the, the physical, the tangible types of things, sending cards also as well, but, and also sometimes the calling and checking in. But if it's 
something more serious, uh, maybe where you're dealing with, you know, serious bout of depression or there's a substance abuse issue, then we'll either um, put you in touch with the Indianapolis Bar Association's Lawyer Assistance Program, or we'll put you in touch with the Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program to get you the additional help you may need there, while we also still see what we can do to come along and support you um, with other things, whether it's, you know, running the, the, getting the groceries, whatever that might be. So even if it is something more serious that somebody is dealing with, it's still okay for them to come to you, even though you may not be like that direct provider, then you can help facilitate something else. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I would say that we would rather you come to us, even if we're not the right place, than to not go, not go somewhere else. The worry, especially, you know, we find that... um in this profession, there can sometimes be a stigma associated, especially if it's depression or some type of mental health or substance abuse issue. And that can really cause lawyers to not want to reach out, paralegals, judges to not want to seek that help. And so, hey, if, if you come to us, we're going to help guide you along that path. Um, the process is completely confidential. So anyone we're working with, no one knows outside of our committee that we're working with them. Uh, and that's a requirement of anyone serving on our committee is to, to maintain that confidentiality. But uh, we will definitely help get you to folks that can give you the services you need if we can't give them to you. That's something I actually had marked down to talk about later. But since you brought it up, can you can you elaborate on sort of the, the, the stigma that exists there and, and to what extent it does? I think the stigma is actually pretty extensive. And I think that's a sad thing. You know, I myself, I tend to be a pretty open book. I have battled with depression over the years. I have um, been fortunate enough to be able to go and get that help. But I certainly was concerned that if my colleagues knew that would that impact their willingness to refer cases to me? Would that impact the willingness of judges to appoint me on cases? I do a lot of work as a guardian ad litem and a parenting coordinator, and I was concerned of, of what that impact would be. And I think that is a pervasive concern. Um, I've had folks that have reached out to me through HEAL who had issues uh, even related to substance abuse, and their concerns were, if this gets out in the open, you know, what's this going to do to my career? The great thing is that once folks are willing to sort of cross that that line and 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 talk to us or talk to folks at at uh, one of the assistance programs, you know, I think most of those folks later would tell you that you know that that's a worry that was was unfounded because the confidentiality is taken so seriously that no one ever figures it out anyhow or finds it out, um, you know, and and we're able to to get you the help you need and keep your your career moving forward, but. I've been doing this 20 years now as a lawyer, almost 30 years in this field. And while I think that we've made a, a lot of progress in helping people realize that, that you know, you can get the help you need, you should get the help you need, that help is available and, and we want folks to get that help. The stigma is still there, but, you know, places like HEAL, places like the Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program are doing a lot to try to break that down and help people get past that. And it sounds like from where you stand, Trust is a really important part of this and being able to earn that trust. Is, is is that difficult or are you able to do that easily after you know having done it for so long? I think on our side of it, as far as the work that HEAL does, I feel like most of our colleagues uh, are happy. They don't have a trust issue so much with, with us um, because a lot of the folks that do come to us do tend to come to us for more of those just the, the hey, I, I need help getting to the doctor. I need help, you know, with, uh, you know, taking care of my yard. I need help um, arranging, sh you know, shutting down someone's law firm after they passed away, that sort of thing. So I feel the trust there is easily earned with us. I know that both with the Indianapolis Bar Association's um, 
lawyer assistance program as well as the state's JLAP program. You know, they have excellent people that work those programs. Um, and I, in my experience with the folks that I know who have worked with those programs, that trust is very quickly earned. Uh, you realize just how serious the folks there take take the commitment to confidentiality and to getting you the help you need in a way that isn't going to be detrimental to to your practice or to your life. So how long have you been involved with HEAL? I've been involved with HEAL, uh, I believe it's five, maybe going on six years at this point. Okay. And you mentioned some of the common things that people will come to you with. I didn't know, though, if there were any more of those sort of common issues that that pop up. Um, you know, there have been times where we've had you know, death of a baby, death of a child. We've had uh, certainly a variety of medical related issues. Um, we certainly have had folks come to us that are you know dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, dealing with other mental health issues. And, you know, we typically get those folks just you know, straight to one of the, to the folks that are better um, equipped to handle the mental health side of that. But we also have had folks that just are like, "Hey, could you throw something out and ask for you know somebody to send me some jokes?" I just I'm going through a rough time with my cancer treatment. I don't need food. I don't need anyone to take me to the doctor. But you know, maybe somebody would just send me some some jokes to keep me keep me laughing. So we've even done things as simple as that. Are you the joke guy? <laughs> I am not normally the joke I know. Okay. And I feel like we've gotten a broad look at how this process goes, but like going into more detail, is it, is there like an intake sort of consult kind of thing that happens or like, what's the initial thing that happens? Somebody reaches out and then from there, where does it go? So the way that, that honestly, we end up finding out about folks that need help typically is we'll hear about it from perhaps a colleague before. So uh, a for referral. Them. So someone might call us and say, hey, I just talked to so-and-so and they're they're facing an issue that you guys might need to, to, to talk to them about. Uh, and so then we'll typically have someone fr- uh, from our organization reach out and say, hey, just want to let you know, first of all, this is what we've heard. Secondly, we're happy that, you know, no one's going to know that we've heard this, but how can we help you? But there are certainly, uh, as far as folks that maybe reach out to us through either the uh, Indianapolis Bar Association's website um, or, you know, reach out to us through telephone by knowing, you know, that we work on the committee. It's not so much an intake process so much as just a, you know, having a conversation with that person, tell us what you, what you're facing. And then we really try to say, how can we help you? What do you need from us to give them? Obviously if they, they sometimes by the time they call us, they know what they're looking for. They know what they need. Other times it's, you know, they're not really sure yet, but if they have a need, we want to try to meet that right away because obviously that needs weighing on their mind. And if we can alleviate it, the better. And then sometimes as we're kind of digging into those issues, we'll figure out that, hey, there may be something of, of more substance on maybe a mental health issue um, that we need to to make a referral out on from there. But it's a very informal um, process. Okay. So I wanted to also talk about Bloomberg Law surveyed 868 attorneys in 2022. They found that the average hours that attorneys worked per week was 49. And so I First, I, I wanted to know, do you think that number generally represents what attorneys around here are working? And you can include yourself in this. Sure. So I would say that number seems low to me. Um, seems low to me from a personal standpoint. Um, I operate my own practice. I'm a solo practitioner. I'm probably putting in 60 to 65 hours a week most weeks. I know, especially in the last year, year and a half, it seems that most of my colleagues that I, uh, you know, am talking to, socializing with, 
are at a, a level of a volume of work that they have never seen in, in their years of practice. So I suspect that number across the board in the Indianapolis area is is low. I will also say, though, a lot of the, the mid to larger size firms have done a really good job in the last, I would say, five years or so of of reducing those billable hour quotas and trying to ensure that they're focusing more on a work-life balance. You know, we see certainly with uh, younger associates, folks just out of law school, they are not looking for the same things out of their professional career that perhaps someone 30 years ago, 30 years ago, that goal was I'm going to land at a big firm. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to become partner. And what we're seeing now with, with uh, certainly younger lawyers, which I sadly cannot include myself as anymore, although in my head, I still feel like I am, but uh, they are looking more to find a way to, to, to have a life as well as have a successful practice. But so I think maybe folks at a larger firm, mid to large firms are probably seeing Something closer, maybe what Bloomberg's number is there. But for some of us solos, I, I think, or even some of the small firms, I think we're working more hours than than that. So obviously, the reason that number is relevant is because then you start talking about burnout, like one of those favorite words we bring up in in uh, not just the legal profession, but but so many different industries and areas of work. And I didn't know if if burnout would would factor into any of the things that you at Heal come across. Definitely. Not so, not so much from a standpoint of someone reaching out to us for, hey, can you help me with X, Y, or Z? But um, one of the things we're also working on with Heal, uh, we're trying to put more of a focus on the last couple of years, is putting our own continuing legal education presentations together that are focused on things like burnout, compassion, fatigue, depression. In fact, we have a um, CLE coming up, uh, I believe, in August. Um, and what we did, it is a depression-based CLE, and, and obviously that being a sensitive subject, um, folks may not want to come and sit in a room and do that live where other colleagues can see it. So we structured that to be a virtual CLE so that you know folks can stay at home, not worry about that, you know, what someone else might think about it. But sort of parallel to the services, the physical things we may go out and do for someone, we are trying to ramp up things um, to help deal with that. So beyond the, the compassion fatigue and, and depression CLEs, we're looking even at putting some socials together, just something like, hey, bring your dogs and let's go for a walk or let's get up, you know, Friday night, let's go for a walk and and go do something, you know, after that or have a little presentation, a small CLE and then have a social just to try to, you know, get folks away from that work because it can be overwhelming at times. I can tell you myself, the burnout is, is absolutely real. Um, you know, I've made significant life changes in the last two years because if I kept going at the pace I was going, which was working that many hours or more, but I also wasn't taking care of myself physically or mentally. And I was headed down a path that would not have been good for me. And so, um, you know, we were trying to help other folks maybe turn that corner as well. What was it like to recognize that in yourself and simultaneously help other people deal with that? Um, <laughs> it was a little interesting because I, I think the helping other people deal with it was a way that for years I avoided facing it myself. You know, I knew for a long time, you know, I needed to drop a significant amount of weight. I knew I needed to find a better work-life balance. And so sometimes I was getting sort of the the positives or the energy that would come from me helping someone else. That'd be enough to carry me over for a little bit. But then there reached that point where I'm like, okay, I can't do everything I need to do as an attorney, as a member of the Indianapolis legal community, as a father, as a husband, 
and keep doing all of it at the level I was doing it without changing the way I was handling my lifestyle. So I eventually kind of had that, uh, that awakening moment and, and started getting busy on working on me. And another finding from that survey was that only 47%, so less than half of attorneys, felt satisfied with their job. And then there were uh, reported stress symptoms such as disrupted sleep. Is that something that, that you could attest to personally? And is it, is it something that pops up at heel? Yes, on, on both fronts. So the disrupted sleep, the 47% job satisfaction. You know, Most of us in this profession, we're dealing with people at the worst times in their lives. They're in a crisis mode. And so we oftentimes end up being the person that has to sort of hold their hand through that. And, and sometimes that means we've got to you know, take the time to not just deal with the legal issue, but deal with the you know, the mental issues that come along with it, it can be very taxing. Sometimes the client lashes out at you. And so, yeah, it's, it's I've done family law now for, you know, 20 years as an, as an attorney, almost 30 overall, as I said before. But do I feel as satisfied with the family law work now as I did before? It ebbs and flows for me. You know, there are times where I need to pull away from it and focus on some other things. But But I think it's a very legitimate problem in the community. And the sleep disruption, I was just talking to colleagues the other day about it on a social media group that we have where, you know, folks were asking, like, is it normal to wake up in the middle of the night and like be thinking about a case? And yes, and have your notebook laying by your bedside and write down what you're thinking about so you can actually go back to sleep. So trying to, you know, find those ways to help people sort of navigate that. And, and how can we how can we work on those things to, to maybe find better job satisfaction? So. Now, earlier you mentioned something that I hear a lot about, too, talking to people, and that's this sort of generational divide where younger attorneys don't value the same things professionally that, that their older colleagues do. And I'm asking you to make a little bit of a prediction here, and I, I won't hold you to it uh, 15 years down the line. I won't come <laughs> back to you and say, hey, you said this. But if you had to look forward and, and make a prediction, do you think some of these things that come along with a lopsided work-life balance where you're burning out and things like that. Do you think younger attorneys having different priorities could eventually make a dent in that problem? I certainly hope so. And I think that it will depend in large part on whether those younger lawyers do things like step up and and advocate you know, by volunteering with the bar associations, getting involved and, and driving that priority home. But I also think it will depend in large part on whether they're able as they move forward in their career to try to maintain that balance um, because it's certainly easy. The phone rings nonstop. The emails are coming in. The new clients are there. So most of the time you can make a very nice living in, in this profession. But it's finding that, hey, I'm not as concerned about the money as I am ensuring that I have my downtime, I have my free time. So I think if they stay focused on, on that, hey, how do we how do we balance this? Then, yes, I think there's a, a tide that's sort of turning, so to speak. And, and, and I feel like it's been rumbling for the last few years, but I feel like it's been picking up traction more and more so. And I think that will continue to happen. So last thing before we go here, um, for legal professionals out there who, who are hearing this and getting interested maybe in what Heal has to offer or whether they just want to learn more, what's the best way for them to go about that? So best way, certainly reach out to um, myself. Um, you can reach out to Julie Armstrong uh, at the Bar Association as well. If you go to the Bar Association's website, um, there is a committee page for Heal. Um, you can certainly go to that page. It has email addresses for folks on there. 
you know, I'm easily findable online and, and uh, you know, reach out and we will put you in touch with folks, whether that's a, how can I learn more about the program or, you know, tell me about your program and how you're going to ensure that I don't end up, you know, regretting coming to you all because it's going to get out somewhere somehow. Stop by the IBJ or the, I'm sorry, the uh, Indianapolis Bar Association's office. And I was going to send them here to hang out don't, with you. If you come here, I'm, I don't know how much help I can give oh, you, well, but <laughs> I'll just give you Travis's number. There you go. Um, but stop by uh, HQ for, for Indy Bar and, um, you know, Anyone there would be happy to help you out, and you you, know, you don't have to worry that that you know, what you're coming to us for is going to go any further than the person you're talking to in that moment without your permission. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's extended interview. Thank you again for joining me, Travis. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to help raise awareness about uh, the work we do with Heal and and uh, the benefit that we hope we're making in the legal community. So as always, if you uh, want to hear previous interviews, visit the IndianaLawyer.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. We'll talk to you next time.